0: Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Um, So one of the things that the conference I was at impressed on me, not actually by way of application, but by way of the free time that I had, was that I should be spending a lot more time going out and um, just not being stuck being stuck in the office, being stuck in my car, being stuck elsewhere. Um, so uh, on Friday, I decided to take a little walk down to down to the riverfront, and like the 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 dock the docks were full of boats, and I was spending some time looking at the different names of the boats because um, there were some. There's sometimes there's a really clever one, um, like uh, like one time there was one that. Uh, there was, there was one word and it was might make it. Um, so like I, I like looking at, at boat names and, um, and I haven't done it in a while. So, so I, I, I was reading the rules of the dock and I found out that it's called, a, it's a transient dock. Uh, there, the rules actually state that you can only dock your boat there 10 days a year. That you're not supposed to leave it there year-round. And I realized, like, some of these boats might actually have people living in them. It might actually be people that are sailing and just going up and down the coast. Maybe they go all the way down through Mexico, and they go through the, the, the canal there to the other side. Maybe they're from, like, even the East Coast, and they're traveling. And, and I saw one boat title named Restless, and I thought, what an appropriate name for a boat, the, if, especially if it's like someone, someone that someone's living in it and they just don't stay anywhere. Restless. What a great name. And people name their boats. Sometimes they name them over uh, after like people they knew. But what I've noticed is that a lot of the boats that that are at that dock tend to be named after emotions or because of what they're going through in life. Maybe like maybe that was a really good title for a boat. Um, and I was kind of thinking about our text today because our text today is going to cover John the Baptist doing sending some messengers to Jesus. And I, I, I thought, you know, what would John the Baptist name a boat after? If he was naming a boat after this period of his life, what would it be called? And I, I, I figured that he might even just name it Doubtful. So... Uh, that's where we pick up in our text today, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse one through verse 11, um, where, where we encounter John the Baptist actually having doubts about the person of Jesus. So let's, let's go ahead and read our text. So Matthew chapter 11 verses one through 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities now, when John heard in prison about the, about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind received their sight and the lame walk Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven. Is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Before we really go into our verses, I think it's important to reestablish in our own minds who John the Baptist or who John the Baptizer is. Uh, if, if we were to turn to Luke one, which we don't need to, we'd find that John was Jesus's distant cousin, maybe, um, born from Zechariah, the priest and, and his wife, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth and, and Jesus's mother were related somehow. It just says kinsmen. We, we often say that that mean that that meant that, uh, that they were cousins, but Elizabeth actually could have been the aunt or the, 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 the aunt, you know, twice removed from Mary. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both advanced in age. They were old, but God promised they would conceive and give birth to John. Zechariah didn't actually believe God, and God responded by striking him mute until his own son was born. During Elizabeth's pregnancy, Jesus' mother Mary came to visit, and, uh, and John, in the womb, leaps at just being near Jesus. Before even being born, John is recognizing Jesus and delighting in him. Now, just because John and Jesus, by the way, were related doesn't mean that their mothers were close. It doesn't mean that they even spent any time together besides this point. They lived far away. So, uh, we, I mean, John the Baptist could have looked at Jesus later and it's not like he would have been like, oh wait, that's, that's my cousin. It's, it's probable they actually spent no time together outside that. There weren't any family reunions back then. That wasn't a thing. And even, even when everybody went to, uh, to go to the temple, families that were distant didn't necessarily spend time together. So scripture only records the one visit, and that could be the only time they saw each other. But once John grew up, uh, he became a prophet, In fact, he's the last of what we might call the Old Testament style prophets, the last one before Jesus. As the end of the uh, book of Malachi interposes, Elijah was was, uh, to come uh, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. That's Malachi 4.5. That's the final verse of the Old Testament prophets. Elijah was one of the greatest and most recognizable prophets of the Old Testament because of the wickedness of Israel and how he stood against it. Prophets of Baal, he killed a bunch of prophets, and and God consumed an offering in front of him. Really dramatic, right? Uh, So in a similar way, God was actually setting up John, uh, John the baptizer, I call him usually, um, but John the baptizer to do the same thing, which is why verses we didn't read, but verse 14 uh, Jesus actually calls him Elijah, who was to come. So, um, so here's John the Baptist. He's not a resurrected Elijah. He's represented, representing Elijah in a, in a different culture, in a different time. So John the baptizer becomes a prophet, and he's kind of weird. Um, he, he, there's no real prophets at the time, the scribes and the Pharisees have taken over, uh, giving the word of God in a, in a, in a a way that's more like, this is what God demands from you, as opposed to this is what God means when he says things. And John, John, the baptizer is coming and he's actually saying this, this is what God demands and this is what he meant. But he was a weird prophet, not just because of the message he declared, but also because he lived in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair, which camels are not like, they're, they're stinky animals. And he eats locusts and honey. Not just occasionally, that's his diet. All the while declaring, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it's near. And we cover that back in Matthew chapter 3. But this guy, John, is also immersing people in water, signifying their new life of repentance and holiness. Um, and those, those who accept the message of repentance, they're getting baptized. That's what immerse means. Uh, or that, That's what the word baptized means. It means to immerse. It means to fully submerge. So these people are getting baptized to indicate this new life of repentance from his message. And that's why we call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He wasn't actually a Baptist. Anyway, that's an old joke. John, you know, Baptists are the oldest denomination ever. Like, it's like a dad joke carried for several hundred years now. Uh, Baptists are the oldest denomination ever. No, 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 don't even. Anyway, uh, so then here's John baptizing people. And one day he has to defend his ministry to the scribes and Pharisees. Um he uh He actually has to say that he's not the Christ, and the Pharisees were like, "Well done, who are you um and he 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 points. Well, he points out Jesus. John chapter 1 covers this incident. Uh, I'm just going to read the text. Uh, Verses 29 to 34. The next day after defending himself to the Pharisees, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. Kind of like when he was in the womb. John erupts in praise, understanding that this is the guy. This Jesus is the guy. I was told to baptize and then and then I see him. I saw him. If we were to read the same account in either in Matthew, we would read that Jesus actually goes to John and says, I need you to baptize me. And John says, no, 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 I should be baptized by you. He recognized him. He knew this was the one. But then Jesus commands John to baptize him. And so John does. He listens. But after that point, John the baptizer's ministry begins to decrease and Jesus's ministry increases, which he says should happen. He says that in John chapter three. But at some point, John the baptizer speaks out against the sin of uh, of of Herod or Herod's family. um, And he's thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, his faith apparently begins to wane. Like any normal person, his circumstances begin to cause him to doubt what he knew was true. He, he knew for a fact Jesus was the, the Christ, the Messiah, the promise, the anointed one. And then for whatever reason, his faith diminishes and probably in desperation, John, John is sending two of his disciples. We find that out in Luke 7. But he sends two of his disciples to inquire the question, the question we read before. Are you the one who's to come or should we wait for another? That's where we picked up today. John, the baptizer, completely discouraged, stuck in prison, doubting in faith. And one thing I want you to notice right away from our text is how Jesus responded. He didn't, he didn't look at the, the, the disciples of John and, and say, "Now you go tell John he's an idiot." How, how the heck could he doubt? He saw that he saw the dove. Didn't he see the dove? He saw the dove. Go tell him how dumb he is. If only, if only he weren't so stupid, he could understand and keep the faith. That's not how Jesus responds. And that's truly important because if we miss this fact, then when we encounter people who are doubting in their faith, we might be prone to treat them in an unchristlike manner. We might be the ones when somebody comes to us and says, you know what? I, I honestly don't know if I believe we might be the ones that go, don't you remember what you went through in youth group? Don't you remember that curriculum we went through that called that called evolutionists stupid Can't you remember that? That's why you should believe. And we won't say it like that, but that is exactly how that person takes it. That's exactly how they hear it. And we want to be Christ like. We want, we want to come at somebody who has doubts with grace and compassion. And if, if, if we were to open to Luke chapter seven, which is the other account of this moment, what we would find is this very wonderful statement that Luke records. He says, in this hour, in that hour, they had seen all these things happen. All the things that Jesus says, well, except the raising of the dead. He's making a pronouncement there. But but all these things that Jesus said, he they had seen the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers be cleansed, the deaf hear. They had heard the poor hear good news preached to them. They were eyewitnesses. And Jesus was so kind, so So encouraging, so loving as to let them behold that. So when they went back to John, it wasn't just, hey, you know what? Jesus sent a message, 144 character tweet, bam, there you go. Now believe they could actually go and they could say with absolute certainty, this is what happened. He, he told us to say this to you and we've seen it with their own eye, with our own eyes. The men saw it. And so, so Jesus doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't call him foolish. Instead, what he does is he shows John's disciples the, the, exactly what he tells, tells them to say so that he could quell John's doubts and calm his soul in prison. Maybe John's discouraged. He's like, why is not Jesus come to visit me? Maybe maybe John's just sad. <clears throat> maybe he like uh, like I, I I don't know if you guys heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a, a guy in World War II that rescued uh, Jews that were going to be killed by Nazi Germany. He actually had a plot to kill Hitler, which is. Definitely a gray area. But at the end of his life, after he had spent he had spent time in a Nazi jail, he denied Christ, and he actually straight up said, I, "Either all men are saved, or no no one is saved." We call that universalism. That's a heresy. Now, hearing that makes me, first off, start to scowl, like, ah, he recanted, look at him, he, he's, he's lost faith, right? But the reality is, if you and I were stuck in a Nazi prison, I don't think it would be like the Ritz, the, it, it wouldn't be like going to the Motel 6 and having a night for a stay. So I don't know what torture he endured, I don't know what he went through, I also don't know what John the Baptist is going through. But all I know is that he doubted, and Jesus encouraged him. What a wonderful thing for Jesus to do. And frankly, isn't, isn't it wonderful for Jesus to do the same thing to you and I over and over again when our doubts rise, when our struggles begin to overtake our faith? If we would just cry out to God and listen to his voice and his word, wouldn't we find our, our doubts quelled and our souls calmed? Ever have that happen where you're just you're going through something terrible and you decide you you have this urge inside. Well, I'm going to go to God and his word and I'm going to pray, Lord, let me see what I need. And then you start reading, whether it's in your Bible reading plan or whether it's just like the Augustine method of throwing the Bible on the ground and taking up and reading. But you find something that actually speaks directly to your struggle. And notice how John went about it, too. When his doubts rose, what did he do? Did he reach out to the local Pharisee and say, hey, come read me Leviticus? Did did he reach out to the closest philosopher and say, you know what, I want to hear what's going on in Athens right now. What's everybody arguing about? No. He went straight to Christ with the only means that he had to send his disciples Don't run to any other source than Jesus. If you're struggling in your faith, if you're doubting, if you're thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know if any of this is real. Go to Jesus. Don't text your friends. (laughs) Pray. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me, Jesus says in verse six. To to go to anything else other than Christ as your first response is to essentially say, you know what, Jesus, you're too offensive, and and I, I don't know if I can really take talking to you. Which, by the way, ironically, is an admission of his reality. Run to Jesus with your doubts, like John the Baptizer did, and ask him, Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, the the king of all creation, or or am I supposed to wait for another? (coughs) Jesus will answer you, and he's going to answer you in a way like he answers John. He'll respond in his own providence. I can guarantee you'll find that there will be a stirring in your soul to open up his word, to take up and read. Again, as St. Augustine was famous for, for describing. You'll find yourself in a situation where there's going to be people provided to drive you into his word. Sometimes it's in a negative sense. Sometimes God sends you people where when they start talking, they can be your best friend. And you're like, oh, no, Um, hold on. Let me go ahead and open up my Bible. But other times he'll send you to someone who really does say, listen to your problem and really does love you enough to say, yeah, yeah, you know, this is what God says. But however Jesus, in his own sovereign providence, decides to to steer you in that point, he does answer the prayer. He answers the prayer of the doubter. So let Christ prove himself to you when you struggle. If you're in a situation right now where you're doubting, what should you do? Run to Christ. John the baptizer was in prison. He wasn't able to physically go to Jesus, so he does the next best thing. But guess what? You are not in that situation, and neither is Jesus. He is not physically bound to a single geographic location. All you must do if you are doubting is pray and go from there. Another important thing to note from our text is that Jesus celebrated John the Baptizer, didn't he? Didn't he, didn't he extol, didn't he praise John? As we read in both Matthew 11:7 and also in Luke 7:24, Jesus actually waited until John's disciples left. As they went away, Jesus began to address the crowd. And that and and Jesus actually begins to beg the question, right, of of why people went to see John in the first place. Why? Was it, what, was it a reed shaken by the wind, which another way of say, is another way of saying, like, oh, look, something's happening. I'm going to go and see it. There's a big stir over there. I'm going to go see what's happening. When a reed shakes in the wind, it tends to make noise. When it shakes in the wind, when you're holding it, it actually tends to whistle. And it's really fun to do. You can do it with a blade of grass as well. But, but reeds make noise. So were they going out to see someone who was making noise? Was it a rich man dressed in soft clothing? What about a prophet? Yeah, yeah, they went out to hear a prophet. Uh, that's exactly what they went out to see. But they, but they went to see someone who was more than just an orator, uh, more than just somebody who was well-worded, claiming to have a word from God. But in fact, they were going to see a man who was promised just like Jesus was promised. That's high praise, man. That is incredible praise. How, how, would, how would you respond if after working for a company and going through a lot of struggles, but then all of a sudden your boss came up to you and said, you are perfect for this job. You know, we'd hope to find someone like you and now we've got you and you are wonderful and we, we can't be more grateful for you. How would you respond? How might your heart begin to swell? Swell with what though? Pride. Wouldn't it swell with pride? Yeah, yeah, I am, I am the right man for this job. Mm, you got it, you got it. You need to put my face on a mug and you need to drink from it every morning. <laughs> that would be really prideful. <laughs> uh, but, but, but yeah. So so why do you think Jesus waited until the disciples of John departed? Honestly, I think it's so that John would be encouraged by Jesus's worth, not his own worth. Personal pride tends to lead to pompous mistakes and failures, doesn't it? If your boss tells you how perfect you are, or even if your spouse tells you how perfect you are, if your friend tells you how great a friend you are, how quickly does your heart fall to despair the moment your imperfections begin to show? What John needed in his doubt was not a reminder of how great he was, but how great Jesus is. And that's another reminder for us. We're not to find our own worth in our in our own accomplishments in our own talents, in our own abilities, or in anything else. Christ does not tell you of your worth to make you feel better about yourself. No, he actually extols his own worth to make you have your affection, your love in the right place. He tells us how great he is because that's what our souls really need. Anybody that comes up to you and says, you know what, you are wonderful, you are great. In fact, you need to tell yourself that. Look in the mirror, tell yourself, I am wonderful, I am great. That person has a problem. Because they're telling you to find your own satisfaction in you. Anything you turn to that strengthens your own self-worth is only good so long as you are worthy of that praise. The person who takes absolute pleasure in their own beauty, what happens when they age? How many plastic surgeries do they go through? No, anything that strengthens your own worth in anything other than God almost immediately becomes sin. Cast it away, give it up, repent. Turn to Jesus instead, again, like John the Baptizer does in his moment of weakness. There are many a time that we begin to celebrate our accomplishments in a sinful manner on earth. Gosh, you just got to go to a high school sports game. You just you just have to watch like high school football and and watch how everybody's chest bumping. And well, you can't now because of covid. But but like how how many guys are like, yeah, look how great you are. You're amazing. And you're like, yeah, I am. Not you specifically, but the person that's on the field. Yeah, I am. I am that great and amazing. I'm going to do it again. And then they don't. And then they make excuses. We have to constantly be repenting and heeding the message of John. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because it's nearer now even than when Jesus was walking on the earth. We should be a people more repentant now than ever. The last thing I want you to notice is Jesus' last line that I read, which was verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I like to call these people the greater least. Not the least greater, because then that would be the wrong order, but the greater least. Because our world longs for fame. It longs to be infamous, if you've watched Three Amigos. Uh, we're, we're not just famous, but infamous. That's, by the way, not what the word means. Uh, but but our our world longs to be noticed for something, right? People in this world want to be recognized. They want to be walking down the street and have people go, Hey, your name, I know you, I've seen you on something. And, and it's like, yes, I am. I am that guy. And you do know me because I am that good. Our world wants to have a presence. The people in our world want to have a presence. They want to be in charge of maybe something grand, where maybe they find their own recognition by a brand name instead of their own name. But in Jesus' kingdom... The greatest saints are not the ones who take center stage, but the ones you've never even heard of. The most glorious and wonderful and bright saints, the ones closest to the throne room or closest to the throne in heaven, are going to be the ones that lived lives of obscurity. The ones that not only did they not have a name for themselves, they just simply didn't exist And and those people, honestly, they're ripe in churches like we all we we all know the names of the of the people who've served faithfully without any level of recognition. And in fact, when you try to recognize them, they they just steer that away and they say, no, 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 no. (laughs) Don't look at me. These are the people who serve the kingdom by scrubbing toilets by, 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 by bringing food to people that are sick and hungry. By, by giving offerings quietly and not saying, hey, guys, look at this. Boom. Yeah, I gave my offering this week. Nobody does that. Nobody really does it that, like, to that level of caricature. But you will find the people that, that, that look at you and say, don't you tithe monthly? How do you not tithe monthly? You know, you're sinning. I give my tithe every month. And they get a, they, they get like this grinchy smile on their face. No, the, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are, are the ones who want to be God's providence to people. God's providence. Not their own providence, God's providence. And I have to check myself on that. Every once in a while, I start thinking like, oh yeah, we've done some good things while we were here. But honestly, no, the Lord has done good things in spite of me here. I was just an instrument. God sees every little thing you do, both good and bad. He celebrates the good things. He celebrates them and extols them and praises them just like he did John. John's whole mission in life was to point to God. He he didn't dress fancy. He wasn't somebody who said things to be the popular kid. I mean, you know that because he ate locusts and honey. Like, ain't nobody eat locusts and honey to be the popular kid in class. (laughs) He existed to make much of Jesus and to tell people how magnificent Jesus's kingdom was and why we should repent Why she, why we should stop sinning because it's better to be with Christ than anything else. That was John's message. That's my calling. That's your calling. That's anybody who says they love Christ calling. To be so willing to be unknown in the world, but known by Christ. Christ. To have Christ talk so highly about you as he does about John. That's your calling. But again, though, Jesus does this behind closed doors. He does it after the only people that would possibly tell John. Uh, Most people will follow someone while they're out and they're preaching. But the moment they go to prison, it's like, okay, I'm cutting ties with that guy. It's no different now, and it's, it was no different then. Knowing that my own desire to have my pride stoked like a fire, I think it's better that Jesus praised me behind closed doors. Isn't it better for you? I, I personally, I would rather have God. I would rather have Jesus quietly praise me to His Father on His throne than have a loud, booming voice from heaven propound my successes. I'd rather be recognized by Jesus than recognized by a newspaper, than recognized by 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 a blog post, by a Facebook status update. Which I don't know. I don't think I I, I wouldn't put much stock in that anyway, but. Anyway, but that should be the attitude of all saints. That we don't, we, we, we shouldn't crave recognition on earth, but we should actually crave recognition by God for being faithful. And the reality is that God sometimes provides earthly encouragement, just like he did to John. But, but also that the reality is that Jesus, or John, should have been the last person on earth To doubt who Jesus was. Leapt in the womb. Saw the spirit of God descend like a dove. Baptized him. John should have been the last one to have doubts or fears of anything. And yet God was kind enough to provide him the encouragement he needed. When you run to him and when you confess your doubts or fears... Jesus will give you the encouragement you actually need. Our sinful hearts will often crave more than they ought to, don't they? So remember again, and keep this in the back of your mind that again, the brightest saints in heaven are those the world passed right on over. So if you're ignored, not celebrated, serving him faithfully, Jesus will have plenty of crowns for you in heaven even if this world spits on you live then for god's celebration not man's and it's interesting by the way that that uh john doesn't doubt god he doesn't doubt that he's been serving the lord that he's been doing the lord's work what what he what he doubts is that jesus is the actual messiah which kind of does make sense like if i'm now, we don't have that same luxury, and yet we still try to doubt. But John, John just wanted confirmation. So what we should take away, especially from verse 11, is that we should live for God's celebration, not man's. Live to have God extol you in private, not in front of you and you'll find a life of satisfaction and contentment. You'll be the one the world passes over, but you're not missing a thing. So if you have doubts, run to Christ. Let him encourage you. Respond to his providence. Dive into his word. Be hungry for the praise that actually matters. Yeah, I'd I'd definitely rather have Jesus extolling me with me not present than me hear God shout from the heavens, here is my faithful servant. I don't care. I don't care as long as God is happy. So should none of us. Let's pray and we can sing our last song. Lord, We have sinful hearts that want to be recognized for how good we're doing. And you are so kind to to provide in a righteous way the encouragement that we need. Help us in our doubt. Help our unbelief. Help us to believe. Help us to have the strength to run to you and not run to anything else, anything other than you first. We will never not be satisfied by you, God. You're the one that satisfies the soul, dry and thirsty in the desert. So if our souls are in that condition now, grant us the water we need. In Jesus' name, amen. The same God who spoke all the stars into existence, is the same one that you can run to with your doubts and your fears, and he knows exactly how to respond. Go in peace, saints.